Hello, and welcome to Kane and Rinse Sound of Play 174.
Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the mini video game soundtracks that we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 174 is our friend Jacob Geller. Hello there. Uh, I We have done, well, I guess as official Sound of Play canon, we've never done a recording together before. <laughs> oh, yes. I've, I've had encounters <laughs> with Huel, but uh, not with Ryan. Right. Yeah, you know how that goes. Uh so I'm. Uh, I, I guess we should probably uh, lay some groundwork. Uh, I'm curious. Like, I you know I've I've watched your videos on YouTube and heard you on the uh, on the podcast on Canaan Rinse, but I, I don't think we've ever really established like what is your musical uh, tastes uh, range. Uh, what do you enjoy listening to? Video game music is such a diverse and genre spanning thing that you can't really say like, I like game music, but I do listen to a lot of a lot of soundtracks while I'm working. But I used to uh, I used to work for my college radio station, and that was an incredibly eclectic mix of basically like the most bizarre and off-putting sounds you could find you know the <laughs> the more edgy your show was um and so and so it really runs the gamut from like like weird jazz to you know i live in north carolina and do actually enjoy listening to kind of like bluegrass type stuff uh you know i'm very open uh usually i do settle back down into kind of an indie niche but you know it it it, it runs runs the whole spectrum full spectrum it's not a lot of uh narrowing stuff down is there anything that you absolutely can't stand um i it's such a i i like i appreciate metal and kind of like really really hardcore stuff like i don't want to say that i i don't think it's good but i've just never really been able to get into it but even then like the doom soundtrack i've listened to you know like the new doom um Mm -hmm. I've I've certainly put some hours into so there's there's even room there but but I'm just not that hardcore as as a person and so I feel <laughs> like I, I sometimes can't relate. Yeah, I don't know what it is like. I I'm super into the whole metal thing, but I've uh, I am the least hardcore person that you'll ever meet. So <laughs> not sure what uh what that says about me or the genre. Um, I I read a while back a like a scientific study that was doing some research into personality types and genres of music that they tend to associate with and they found that personality wise as far as like traits and attributes go the people who are really into metal are the same types of people that are really into classical music just kind of divided by age so be older people for classical younger people for metal because it's a lot of those same elements of uh of grandiosity of going on a kind of a musical adventure a kind of storytelling aspect of it and just wanting to be kind of surrounded by a greater sound uh so yeah i don't know there's interesting synchronicities <laughs> between genres. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to tell my grandparents now that like you like classical. Can I interest you? You in love Megadeth, <laughs> Thrasher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, first piece of music that we listened to on the way in was a piece that I requested. I've been going through a Divinity Original Sin two recently. I played a lot of that at the beginning of this year. Really uh, sunk my teeth into it. It's one of those that um, it's a CRPG, a computer RPG, which is a not just a descriptor of the system that I'm playing it on, but it's actually a, a genre distinction. Um, it's uh, games in the style of uh, Fallout One and Two, of you know Divinity, of uh, Pillars of Eternity, 
um, Torment, uh, Tides of Numenera, and Planescape Torment, and you know that that type of usually isometric um, genre of a very deep storytelling, typically, and a lot of reading. Luckily, Divinity Original Sin 2 is fully voice acted, including all of the narration lines, which is super cool. Um, but it still does have that that feeling of really thorough uh, conversation systems and really deep stories that you get involved with and um, really deep combat systems. It's, it's super interesting. I like it a lot. You know, I, I got a bit distracted with it um, when I played it through for the first time towards the beginning of this year. And I, uh, yeah, I don't know what it was that kind of made me um, fall away from it, but you know how that goes. Sometimes there's just more stuff keeps coming out, you get busy with work, and then all of a sudden you just don't find yourself returning to it for a long time. Sure. Um, it was so long that I, I spent in hiatus that in the time in between they put out the definitive edition, which I don't know how much they added to it, but I, when I returned to it, I was kind of like, do I continue with my original save or do I start over because the save files don't transfer between the two editions, which was a free upgrade. So I didn't have to pay anything extra, but, um, I, I decided to, you know what, let's start over. And I learned a couple things in my first playthrough. I uh, decided to install a mod so I can take all of the characters with me instead of having to select three companions, mm. uh, gave me an additional two slots so I can experience everyone's story all in one playthrough instead of having to do two playthroughs. Although, I am doing two playthroughs, <laughs> but you know, uh, and, uh, I got an extra piece of DLC. I think it was free probably of the little squirrel who is going on an adventure with my team as well. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm having a more efficient playthrough this time around. I know the opening area, uh, the first few chapters that I can kind of blaze through. And so I am now at a point farther than I was when I originally played it. And, uh, I'm still, very much enjoying it. It's um, it's it's really interesting. It's uh, really well written. It's uh, well acted. It, the only thing is like it's a little. There's some like quality of life things in a lot of RPGs, especially dealing with like, you know, not getting overwhelmed with menus and with uh, item menus in particular, and it doing a good job of kind of naturally sorting items that this game doesn't really have and so it's a little fiddly when it comes to item and skill management and stuff but it's not it's not that bad it's manageable it's just one of those things where i'm like this is the type of game that i can't really take a break from and come back to later i'm gonna have to get through it so i guess that's a, a long intro for this song which is one of the one of the themes of uh, one of the characters name of beast who is a dwarf um I guess uh, a dwarf, dwarven royalty who uh, kind of fell out with the royal family as a few of the characters did actually and um, and became a pirate, so to speak, trying to escape a prison I think he was captured into. So uh, it, it has a kind of piratey theme to it, but overall it is it is jaunty and it is upbeat and pleasant and happy actually, which is kind of unexpected but that's one of the nice things about divinity original sin too is that it's not trying to be edgy i guess is a way to put it it's you know it is overall even though there's a lot of really dark things that happen in the world like people tend to have a very positive disp disposition people tend to be very approachable and you know it's not um 
it's not trying to impress anyone with how like hardcore everyone in the world is and how tough and grizzled and everything you know Mm -hmm. games can fall into that trap a lot of the time uh like everyone is just genuinely not necessarily nice all the time but just like they treat you with respect and they'll you know everyone just tries to they have this understanding like everyone's just trying to get by no one needs to um no one needs to razz each other too much. <laughs> now, it's interesting that you talk about uh, wanting to get through it because as far as I can remember, I've never talking to, like talked to anyone who's finished a CRPG like mm. of any kind. You know, I feel like it's like, oh, you know, Planescape Torment is the best written game of all time. But I never hear <laughs> anyone talking about the ending. And I always get the impression that these games are like a thousand hours long. And eventually you just like, you know, tap out or your computer dies or something and then you have to stop. Mm. But maybe I'm just not in the right communities. That's probably true. And, you know, maybe it's maybe it's not something that's super attainable, but I don't know. I feel like it's moving at a decent enough pace. And I feel like this is probably kind of a silly way to look at it. But the fact that every line is voice acted means that how much can there really be, right? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I am I am playing Red Dead now and I feel like there are... Uh, that's true. You know, there are so... <laughs> Of course, you know, the, the rock star production levels are something that's probably <laughs> unheard of for the rest of the industry. But yeah, man, they can they can crank those lines out now that you don't have to worry about fitting it on a disc or whatever. Yeah, I feel like Divinity 2 and Red Dead, like these games are kind of I've used the phrase in bef- uh, before to describe the Smash Bros series, but like a an embarrassment of riches. It is mm-hmm. like an unbelievable amount of just like sheer content on within these game worlds. And uh, I love one of the things I love about divinity original sin too, is that there's so many extremely specific contingencies that it is absolutely prepared to address, which is one of my favorite things in games. It's like, it's bananas. Yeah. 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 It's like you use a super roundabout way of achieving a goal and it acknowledges that you've done it. But not only that, it also acknowledges that you have completed one previous quest and haven't completed another on the opposite side of the island because it somehow ties into you. Do- you know, it's it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I've had I might have actually mentioned this on the little Red Dead minicast we did. But I had the thought that like making games in like, you know, 2017, 18. Yeah, Divinity came out last year um, is like. You know, like old movies like uh, like Cleopatra or wherever, mm, where they yeah. like had like 10,000 extras and built, you know, the entire set of ancient Egypt or whatever to do this thing. <laughs> and now uh-huh. and now we don't have to do that because we have CGI and we have like other things that can take the place. I feel like eventually we'll have kind of algorithms or like you know ai something that can Mm -hmm. that can write these lines and can maybe even perform them if if kind of digital voice creation gets that far but now we're just putting in you know hundreds of thousands of man hours and millions of dollars to do these like incredibly minute things and i just have the feeling that we'll look back on this in 20 years and be like what were we doing (laughs) I'm really looking forward to the more procedural future, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially because once things like like the architecture of the world become procedural, 
uh, once we can kind of teach a machine, okay, this is a game that's set in Greece. This is what the style of architecture looks like. Just build the buildings. Here's some basic plans. Go for it. Go wild. Then we can start, you know, if it's not specifically authored, then we could start getting into more destructible environments. Then oh, we yeah. can theoretically get into uh, the changing of architecture over decades that a story takes place. And, you know, it not being like something that a person has to build every single time, uh, you know, because that's, I think, even though we see these amazing projects that require thousands and thousands of man hours, like, I think that is still a barrier to to really getting the most out of uh, out of these ideas. Yeah, totally. I'd love to see an Assassin's Creed that's set over centuries that people don't have to rebuild with every, you know, new, um, yeah, just kind of follow through the time. One of the things that I've always been in, uh, had a great interest in is a racing game, kind of like the crew that is set across, you know, the entire United States, but is actually modeled after like the roads that actually exist. And mm-hmm. so you can race on any road and it just kind of auto populates the buildings. They would be able to say like, you know, using Google maps or whatever, they could, they could kind of zone out. This is residential area. This is lower income residential. This is commercial area. This is factory area. This is an airport. And just be able to tell the computer, like, this is the type of architecture that you're going to see in Southwest Arizona. This is the type of architecture you're going to see in Utah. And it would just kind of procedurally build out. Uh, it knows what every uh, business is. And so it can say, this is a laundromat, even if it can't use the specific name. This is a this is a, uh, a teriyaki place. And mm-hmm. you can get like really accurate. You, know, you can have races down the road that you grew up on. Or you can take an actual coast-to-coast trip uh, for like an AGDQ type of event or something you know and it could actually take days to get across the country and i'd be super into that yeah i've never played like euro truck simulator or whatever Mm -hmm. but i get the impression you know like those are those are kind of small enough areas no offense to our you know (laughs) european most of the team um but like you know that it is it's not that impossible to recreate like basically the whole uk in a you know in a map or whatever but yeah when you get when you get into these these really large really empty areas in like montana or whatever having having just some program to like lay down all those roads yeah i think it's totally possible and we are just on the cusp of getting there i feel like next console generation we're gonna see that level of stuff i think Maybe one of the things that's holding us back, and you know, we're doing a lot of talking and not a lot of music. I hope that's okay. <laughs> uh, one of the things that's maybe holding us back is that, uh, like in the crew specifically, there was a lot of online aspects. And so, if you really want it to feel like a populated playground with other players, you don't necessarily want to have that open of a space because then people would just, you'd never encounter another person, kind of like No Man's Sky. Right. <laughs> but, well, I remember, yeah, yeah the, the initial like promise or whatever you know the the kind of lofty expectations that the no man's sky team had for themselves was like well maybe there are other players but planets are so big you'll probably just never run into them and like yeah i thought that was a really cool (laughs) idea that wasn't actually the case in that game at least originally but yeah, yeah it was it was cool to think like you know 
once in a hundred hours you would kind of see someone racing by or whatever that's a mm. but but that's so much effort for so little payoff that i can totally understand why they wouldn't want to i've been playing uh forza horizon 4 off and on recently and uh i don't know if it's always been this way i know that the uh, the drivatars always have the name of the person that they're modeled after like over their i don't want to say their heads because they're cars but over their cars mm-hmm. to kind of mark who they are um but i feel like they used to have icons to designate that they're drivatars versus the real person maybe i'm just imagining that but i spent a long time uh harassing carl moon's car that i saw driving around i like crashed into it and like came back and like pushed it off the road and into a gutter and just like did everything <laughs> that i could to like mess it up and then i remembered oh yeah i don't even have xbox live gold like oh it's definitely not him so all of this was just messing with the computer it would so. be it'd be good if then in his game he had like an ai controlled him and just like constantly harassing him if it's really learning my behavior then that drive guitar is going to be a real dick so i hope that that does have some sort of an effect but carl you got away with it this time but next time i'm gonna i'm gonna find you i'm gonna get you <laughs> Anyways, let's get to some more music. Let's move into the extended universe of Minnesota Fats. This track is from the game Minnesota Fats Pool Legend that came out on on the Saturn in 1995. Uh, That was the year of my birth, and I have not played this game. But it it has an incredibly funky soundtrack and, and just kind of the the weirdness of this game existing so minnesota fats is a uh legendary pool player that's not his real name uh but he also i was just like looking this up the other day uh his other nicknames include chicago fats and new york fats and three point fats and so it feels like he's not actually married to minnesota or any region you think in it would particular be the other part of the nickname that he would want to get away from <laughs> right no he's very attached to the fats like everywhere he goes like oh come on <laughs> <laughs> but um, i moved away from minnesota to get you know yeah. fresh start somewhere else um but this game has i mean all of the kind of just like uh, weird like cheaply made game things like there it has like fmv cutscenes where there are both like kind of some documentarian giving the history of this guy but also like you know kind of women staring directly at the camera and saying like that was a pretty good one fats bet you won't be able to beat me next time <laughs> And it's just like it's such a it's such like a relic of gaming history that I know is it always women the opponents no it's it's frequently I mean I don't think my guess is that you weren't actually playing against her because it seems like professional pool players are all kind of like pretty much the same guy and just like different (laughs) old men (laughs) yeah yeah and so she was like i don't know representing one of their interests or whatever but yeah you've just got (laughs) you've just got a bunch of matches against these like old smoking guys um and and your your goal is to you know be be the best pool shark around i don't know i heard um austin walker posted this track on twitter a couple days ago and since then i just haven't been able to get it out of my head and so i felt like why not make that the case for all sound of play listeners this is a split release it looks like between the sega genesis and the saturn are you 
uh, familiar with both versions of the track? <laughs> Honestly, or do you I'm not familiar with either. I mean, I don't know, like, the, the specific differences or whatever. I think this is probably the, the Saturn version of the track, mm-hmm. as that's kind of what's what's listed on most of the things but but my my proficiency with this game is very low i i think the the soundtrack is banging and that's about it there we go all right well this is versus tina by masaki iwasaki tahe sato seiji momoi and shoga sakai from minnesota that's cool legend from the forum this comes from mr green tos it says deadhead fred was a 2007 psp game that nowadays seems to be long forgotten the soundtrack blends cinematic orchestrations with a dark panorama of jazz southwestern guitar ambient rock fusion and other seemingly disparate music styles into a cohesive and alluring listening experience this is a super cool piece of music it's very I don't know, it feels kind of industrial and creepy and I don't know, it it's a hard one to describe, but mm-hmm. uh I'm I'm really into this sound. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, I feel like the the PSP is just this total graveyard of like interesting IPs and styles that never really went anywhere afterwards. I, I just mm-hmm. I feel like if you looked into it, there would be so many so many IPs that just kind of ended their lineage there and like that. Deadhead Fred has not had had a, an illustrious game career afterwards, but like this tone is sweet. Like, I feel like e- even if you were just going to preserve the kind of like vibe of this this track and yeah. the game overall, you can make something interesting out of it today. Yeah, yeah, I'm into it. It's a little Silent Hillish and uh, very uh, quite varied throughout its run. So let's listen to. 
Castle Steiner theme from uh, Deadhead Fred by Rob Abernathy and Jason Graves, appropriately enough. circling around uh, to another game that I've played a piece from recently. I've been uh, kind of re-listening to the soundtrack, and so that's what has uh, caused me to throw a few of them on my list. Uh, But this is called Lusitania. It is by the Cro-Magnon Band from Tiny and Big, Grandpa's Leftovers, which I've uh, talked about pretty recently on Sound of Play, so I won't go into the whole like explanation for what the game is again. But it's got this cool indie rock soundtrack, Uh, with just a whole bunch of variety in the genres of music that it covers. And uh, this particular one has like a nice like 1970s cop film feeling to it. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's just like my personal association, but it's like the recording is a little crackly. It feels a little dated, like you're playing enough of an old record and it's got a, like a real cool, like balance of intensity and real like smoothness to it, uh, which I can really get behind <laughs> now. Uh, d- does this, um, you were talking a lot about kind of indie music earlier. Does this type of thing appeal to you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this track is is really cool. And I mean, in the in the context of game music, I I like I like tracks that like I could play, you know, while eating dinner with my parents and they like wouldn't think that it was from a game. And this and this really falls into that category. Um, And I've always like jazz is always something that I've been interested in, but not felt knowledgeable enough to kind of like make any statements or like you know provide any recommendations on but like this falls right in kind of my my area of interest for that genre um so yeah i think it's i think it's super cool and i i would (laughs) i might check out the cro-magnon band afterwards i mean are they are they like uh, a group who has specifically made music just for this game or were they like hired out sure. and are are like a normal group otherwise sometimes you see i don't want to say false attributions but sometimes you see like music on game soundtracks attributed to bands that don't really exist so i don't know if that's the case here but i have a feeling that this is a real band and uh the entire soundtrack is made up of uh songs composed by different bands and different composers and stuff so i have a feeling it's kind of a playlist type feel um, are all very different from one another. According to my very quick Google here, uh, Cro-Magnon was an American experimental band during the late 60s, but oh, their name isn't the Cro-Magnon band. Their name is just Cro-Magnon, so I don't know if it's the <laughs> same group. I, d- I don't think they would. I mean, unless unless Tiny and Big were, were like getting songs from like 69, which would be interesting uh but but kind of a weird move for you know what what was like a pretty modest game i mean unless the uh the value of the license hasn't really held over time uh, i'd imagine something that's well old and maybe not so popular these days would be not incredibly difficult to license if they wanted it anyways let's listen to lusitania from tiny and big grandpa's leftovers
back on the forum coming from Dingle Dongle, who says, Yasunori Nishiki does an amazing job with the entire soundtrack for Octopath Traveler, but the, but the transition found in this piece escalates the scene perfectly. Superb work. Again, another 2018 piece. Uh, not that uh, actually first of today, but we play a lot of very recent pieces on the Sound of Play a lot of the time. And I've enjoyed the Octopath Traveler soundtrack. Speaking of uh, Divinity, it's another very long game that I've got on my, uh, I'm currently going through. So that one's kind of on the back burner at the moment, but um, it's, a, it's a nice one. It's a good traditional JRPG, which I haven't played in a long time. Uh, but I do love the music. I've read a lot of good stuff about the soundtrack in particular and uh, and seen. I mean, one of my favorite YouTube channels is GameScore Fanfare, uh, which mm-hmm. is which is, you know, like video essays on game music. And um, and Matthew Dias and the guy who runs that did a piece specifically on like the Octopath music and how it will kind of like like it really seamlessly amps up as as you can kind of hear in this track like between more just like conversational music or like you know the the tension before the battle right mm. into the battle itself mm, and it yeah. it's like it's not you know it's not that the song is just four minutes long and at the two minute mark it amps up it's like wherever you are it has a way of kind of like really seamlessly working it in and that's just so impressive i mean as i am someone who appreciates music a lot and really has no like musical talent of my own and so it it just like boggles my mind how someone could kind of like write a track so at any point it could be kind of like pulled into this whole new gear it's it's a very impressive piece of music in general. It's got so many instruments. It's got this kind of underlying uh, orchestral theme that drives it throughout, but it cycles in a bunch of weird instruments, like a maybe a harmonica at the beginning. That's kind of what it sounds like. Uh, playing into Tressa, the character, is a merchant and is kind of a lighthearted character. Uh, she's very... Um, you know, I don't want to say like flighty, but she's very optimistic in a world that sometimes doesn't feel super optimistic. Um, this is a very genuine, genuinely pleasant and uh, caring character, uh, but has a very kind of light attitude about her. Her story is a lot lighter than the other characters in terms of in terms of tone, and I feel like it plays that towards the beginning, and then it gets into a more kind of traditional, intense piano uh, riffs over the orchestral piece which is um yeah super cool evolving piece of music while still being true to the character that it's supposed to represent so let's listen to tressa boss battle 2 from octopath traveler
We spoke earlier about Red Dead Redemption 2, and you are introducing a piece of music. Now, when I've been playing Red Dead Redemption 2, a lot of the music has kind of fallen to the background, and I haven't paid a lot of specific attention to it. But um, I'm I'm curious to hear your impressions because obviously it made a made an impact on you. And so, uh, what are what have you been observing about the soundtrack at large before we get into this specific piece of music? Yeah, so it's a it's an interesting piece of kind of. Uh, you know they're they're drawing on a whole bunch of styles here and and some of them are really you know pretty predictable like they've got the nice kind of acoustic guitars and whatever that were really common in the first game um but as someone whose uh favorite rockstar soundtrack is the one by health to max Payne 3 mm-hmm. there are there's some moments in the soundtrack when you're when you're doing like really intense shootouts or it's at like an emotional climax where it feels like I don't think they're using synthesizers like that much, but it feels almost health esque where it's just like it's really intense and it's really kind of like more noise than than kind of like melody for a lot of it. Um and and so it feels it's, like it uses period appropriate instruments to use um to employ modern techniques in music making yeah, which is exactly interesting. and and so this piece specifically um is is uh, the theme of angelo bronte who's this dude who you meet in in you know like one of the game's major cities and is kind of an an italian mob type guy i mean the comments on the youtube video are all like ah mafia meets red dead redemption and in this piece you can hear a lot of um a lot of kind of like accordion and then there's like a cello and stuff in there but the but the effect it has is this just like really simmering building tension just like up and up and up and and this like Red Dead Redemption 2 is a pretty dark game and and there are things around Angelo Bronte that are just like bleak and and so this tune is really interesting because it uses these kind of like you know instruments that we associate with like Italian mobsters and whatever but in this way that's just that's just kind of dark and ominous in a way that I haven't really heard that kind of soundtrack do before where's that uh the cinematic history of the spaghetti western which kind of ties in that italian uh with the old west as well this is this really like intimate personal track and so it's a yeah a different side of italian uh (laughs) italian composing yeah yeah it's it's very cool and uh i like as well how kind of understated this is and this piece of music also tells a story and evolves and you know it's not settling into themes as much as it's you know constantly kind of taking you on a journey somewhere so it's a cool one like the part of the story that it takes place is there's just there is a real kind of turn about i mean i haven't beaten it yet so i can't say like you know percentage wise how far in but it's around chapter three chapter four and it's been you know a a game that has kind of been about like you know, companionship and and hanging out with your gang and doing fun robberies and whatever just takes a turn. And and this is around the point 
where where it does take that turn um Mm -hmm. and and i think this being musically pretty different than everything that has come before it is a signal to like oh we're not we're maybe not in the genre we thought we were Mm. do you know that that this seemed like one sort of game that's kind of the more the more predictable route and and then when it changes and is it signals this change with this you know different kind of track it puts you in an interesting headspace of like oh maybe maybe this is going to go down a whole different path um Mm. and and that so far has really been my my fascination with the game like i i just didn't I just didn't think the story would be as good as it is. Um, and and unless it really majorly squanders its ending, which I, I don't think it's going to based on the feedback that I've heard, um, it's, it is, you know, far and away my favorite Rockstar story. Very cool. Well, maybe we'll get, uh, we'll get some crossover characters in the next table tennis game. That would be fun. <laughs> this is the theme of Angelo Bronte by Woody Jackson from... Red Dead Redemption 2.
next track comes from Stalked by Cats from the Forum, who says, I'm still not sure how I feel about Far Cry 5 as a complete entity, but I can safely say about the soundtrack that it has some bangers on it. This is the bangeriest of them all. Say what you will about xenophobic reactionary paranoia, but it makes for some catchy tunes. This is, uh, we are both Americans on a uh, largely European podcast, but um, this is the most American song that I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, this it's so great. I mean, I really, as as someone who doesn't subscribe to any of the politics that the, the song is espousing, <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh-huh. I really love it. It's like super gun friendly. It's like super manifest destiny. There's a lot about like God gave us this so we deserve it type stuff. And uh, it's all in the it's all in the style of a like a super overproduced gospel song, mm-hmm. which fits this kind of which fits the theme of the game really well of like a, a modern take on uh, these old timey religions and just kind of using it to get to push your own agenda forward and to basically take over this, this small town of uh, in the middle of Montana, um, which is an interesting setting, interesting theme. And it's interesting how it comes through the music. Yeah. I honestly wish, I mean, I feel like this, this music is uh, a lot of the, the feedback and criticism on Far Cry five is it seemed like they were selling this really politically relevant and interesting game and then the story itself yeah turned out to like not really have anything to say about that and this song is very clearly you know like a pointed satire in yeah. a way that like a lot of the plot isn't really um and so i i, I wish there was more like the song in that game because i feel like it would have pushed it into a more interesting territory than when it ultimately ends up in yeah but again you know that's ubisoft trying to kind of like play it safe and you know if you want to sell a billion copies then you can't piss off you know a, what, what like a 30 percent of the american public or something <laughs> well you know they had their opportunity they had a you know anti-far-right game ready to go like at the time of the trump presidency and it's like you know even if they weren't planning on this you know at the time that production started like they were in the right place at the right time by chance and they could have pivoted it into something that would have been like interestingly historically relevant but at the same time i can't really blame them too much because there's a lot of people whose jobs are on the line and right i guess it's just one of the weird things was like the early trailers seemed like they were selling that game yeah. you know like they didn't play it low risk and i feel like a a lot of people like me who have kind of fallen off the Far Cry franchise were intrigued by that proposition. And so it seems like the, you know, the the kind of marketing smarter thing to do would be like have your trailers be fairly middle of the road and then make the game itself like, you know, covertly yeah. kind of politically relevant. Um, do like a spec ops the line on us. That, exactly. Um but, you know, they, they certainly got in the headlines for, for those trailers. And so maybe maybe they did exactly what they wanted. But I, I wish there had been more attempt in the script to kind of just, just, you know, make good on the promise of the premise, which is, you know, a kind of crazy religious militia taking over, you know, an area of land. Like, that's something that's happened. We can, we can draw yeah. real life parallels to that. Um, yeah. And, you know, and instead it's a game where you can, you know, like throw a shovel through a guy and pin him to a tree. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, it is a 
kind of a weird mix of ideologies. Like on one hand, you know, you are kind of like in the worst parts of Trump country and, you know, going up against like far right extremists. And there's that aspect of it. But at the same time, you are still kind of like solving all of your problems by being a good person with a gun. And so it doesn't <laughs> really align with like left or right ideologies on a mechanical level. Yeah, if you if you want to go, I mean, <laughs> your character is not going around giving out, you know, like better welfare coverage and whatever <laughs> to these people or, or whatever kind of the liberal fantasy would be. Um, it's not really de-escalating so much. Not so much. Uh, but uh, I've been playing this recently as well. Um, you know, it's one that I was looking forward to and I, I enjoy the Far Cry games, the modern Far Cry games, especially. One of the things that uh, caught me off guard, and this is the worst, this is me not being uh, thoughtful about the, <laughs> about the game's mechanics, but I was, um, I was approaching a, like a house kind of towards the, towards sunset at night and I was low on health and just kind of wanted to find a safe place to hunker down for a bit and restock on supplies and maybe craft some more healing materials and stuff like that. And so I approached this house and I see a couple of uh, like black guys out back, um, guys with uh, darker skin anyways. I was like, oh good, this is a safe place <laughs> because <laughs> I just assumed like, you know, far right militias, but then they started shooting at me and I'm like, oh yeah, for, I forgot. This is like, they're really, they're a colorblind cult. <laughs> they have enemies of all different races. And yeah, so I, my own prejudices uh, kind of got in the way of, uh, of my actual sensibilities in the game. I thought yeah, was anyone like, okay. can want to kill you. <laughs> right. That they're not going to want to be aligned with this far right extreme movement. It's like, oh, no, yeah, no, actually, this is an Ubisoft game. They're going to be pretty egalitarian. <laughs> <laughs> this is Keep Your Rifle By Your Side by Dan Romer and Will Farr from Far Cry 5.
here's an interesting one. This is a game that uh, doesn't exist any longer from what I have gathered. I've done a bit of research on this, but there's surprisingly little on the internet about it. I don't know whether it was a game that was active from 2014 to 2016 or whether it was like an early access thing that just got canceled at some point. But from what I can tell, it was playable, but I don't know if it was finished, if it ever hit 1.0. But this is from like an MMO RTS called Monarch Heroes of a New Age. And uh, this is actually a piece that I'm double dipping on. I played this as like background music uh, during part of the Halloween special that we just did. Uh, But I wanted to actually focus on it and give it its time in the spotlight because it's a cool piece of music and uh, deserves to be listened to without people talking over it. This is called Lake of Oblivion. It's a really cool track. Uh, I was I was surprised, one, because I had never heard of this game before, as, <laughs> as I guess makes sense for a defunct MMO. Um, but but yeah, it's just like if you if you told me you know like guess the genre of this game or or even the medium i would not have said mmo um and and it's got this kind of you know it's really it's really nuanced it's it's a pretty like understated track but there's a lot of you know it goes in some interesting directions and um yeah it was just i was just surprised to hear a track of this quality from a game that I had literally never heard of before. Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful piece. And uh, the, the bit that I've linked in the show notes that we've been listening to is actually different than the version that came on the soundtrack, uh, which I don't know if they've recorded multiple versions of it. If one's maybe an early iteration of the other, but uh, you know, I guess it's uh, you know, maybe things evolved over time, but it's just such a, such kind of a mournful piece. It feels like like a sad character piece that you would play in like a gothic horror type of setting or something instead mm-hmm. of like a like a castle siege MMO. So I'm not right. sure the context that this would have been in, in the original game, but it's a, a beautiful piece of music and I just wanted to bring some more focus to it. <laughs> so this is Lake of Oblivion by Gumen Nam. I'm going to guess, uh, sorry about the pronunciation, Um, from uh, Monarch Heroes of a New Age.
Jacob's going to take us out with one more piece of music. But before we do that, we would like to encourage everyone to hop on to our forum at canonrinse.com slash forum or tweet us at canonrinse to request pieces of music for future Sounds of Play. We will play pretty much anything you throw at us other than like licensed music. Please do subscribe to Sound of Play if you've not done so already and check out our other podcasts. We have Canon Rinse on Monday. And a new addition to the Kaden family is the Sausage Factory on Fridays. If you want some more kind of in-depth uh, actual discussions with the people who make the games in the first place, you can see how the sausage is made. Both of those podcasts come highly recommended from us, naturally. Yeah, uh, Jacob's been on uh, Kaden quite a bit recently, and I've uh, I've enjoyed having you as a part of the team. Um, and also the the YouTube content that you've been creating, It's it's been great to be uh, kind of acquainted with uh, with you and your perspectives. I think that they're all very well considered and well delivered. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be glad to be doing stuff as part of Kane and Rinse and kind of, I mean, basically everything that I've made on YouTube so far has been just an adaptation of a, you know, <laughs> blog that I wrote for Kane and Rinse uh-huh. previously. So uh, if you're a fan of my work already, Go check out, you know, YouTube channel Jacob Geller, where you can see visual representations of what you've already read. Um, And if you don't read the blogs, uh, go check it out. And it's brand new, fresh content that's never appeared anywhere before. Very cool. We do have uh, quite a bit of written content on our website. So there's uh, lots of reading to do uh, if that's the kind of thing that um, that interests you. You know, we we go in depth. And we analyze, pick apart, deliver our own opinions when appropriate. And uh, there's a wealth of information out there if you're interested in studying in, uh, video games. Anyways, Jacob, thanks for joining me today. Uh, it's it's good to get some time on Sound of Play to explore some of your musical interests. For sure. Let's close out today with a, a piece of music. This is uh, You specifically note that this is from an album called Prep, uh, Prescription for Sleep. Is this from the game soundtrack or is this like a cover album it's a it's a cover so there is there is this artist named gentle love i don't know if that's one person or a a band or whatever but but they have this whole series of prescription for sleep video Mm. game albums and they're all pretty similar and that they're you know a lot of a lot of like piano and strings kind of covers of game soundtracks that you know for you know among other things falling asleep to because uh, they're mm-hmm. all pretty low-key um and and because because they do games that you're familiar with you know i think it's i think it's easier to fall asleep to something that you're already kind of used to but they just released this album called prescription for sleep celeste which is totally you know celeste covers and um and this one is really interesting because the song is scattered and lost which is a in a pretty minor key in the game and in this cover. And it's interesting to hear a song that is written to be kind of chill and calming and whatever still take kind of a, you know, whatever negative energy comes with a minor key. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I just thought this was a, a neat, a neat adaptation of a soundtrack that was already super good and has been featured on sound of played several times i like this piece of music because it feels like there's a lot going on i feel like i've heard a few of these like uh lullaby covers of (laughs) other pieces of music which i feel is i mean i guess it's the point but they always feel a bit boring 
Yeah. And so I was really impressed by this one because it does actually have a little bit more dynamism than a lot of these other kind of lullaby cover albums that I've heard in the past. Is this pretty indicative of the rest of the album or is this like a standout track? It's I, I mean, this is this is a very good track. And I think the album as a whole is good, but th- that doesn't mean it's not boring for the large part. <laughs> um and and so it's just like, you know, you can pretty much tell what you're getting when you start listening to any of these. Um, mm-hmm. But I think this one in particular does take a few more chances and and kind of is a little more varied and dynamic than a lot of the other ones. So um, there are just there are some songs that work really well with the style and some that don't don't listen to like the Snake Eater cover. You know, I love them, but mm. like Snake Eater shouldn't put you to sleep um <laughs> but i think i think for this particular track the the style melding really works well yeah it's a nice one and nice one to go out on it, it kind of continues from the last piece of music and that's got a little bit of a what that restrained horror music feeling to it i think mm-hmm. of a classical piano and strings and stuff so uh i'm i'm into it this is called scattered and lost by gentle love and Maiko from, uh, well, a cover of, anyways, Music from Celeste, a Game of the Year nominee that we are very happy to see being a Game of the Year nominee in, uh, in Nintendo's third-party department. We're, uh, we're proud of it. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's close out on that then. We'll see you next week. Thank you.